Welcome back to the Purple Squirrel Podcast. We just spoke with Steve Beckett, founder of Sourcebreaker. He gave us the scoop on search and match technology and some insight into the culture of growth and collaboration at Sourcebreaker. We hope you enjoy. You're listening to the Purple Squirrel Podcast, where you'll learn how to make the unattainable attainable through the insights of staffing technology experts. We're your hosts, Sarah Haberman and Hannah DeBool. Welcome, Steve. Happy to have you. Yeah, likewise. Happy to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. So what should, I guess to kick things off, what should our staffing and recruitment customers know about Sourcebreaker if you want to just do a, a little intro for us? Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, Sourcebreaker is a searching and matching technology. We've been around for just over three years now selling to customers. Um, at one point, we were uh, Bullhorn's fastest growing marketplace partner, according to the marketplace guys. So that's um, a yeah, big feather in our cap. Um, and yeah, we've grown to over 500 customers in, in three years and provide matching technology to to recruiters, it helps them find more of the best candidates far more quickly. And at the click of a button, it matches them to live vacancies from employers. Uh, and we have a huge new release coming out next week on Wednesday. Um, so we'll be doing not just the identifying more candidates and better candidates and matching them to vacancies, but actually helping with the engagement side as well. So surfacing salary data, up to the minute news on companies, funding data, and helping people identify email formats as well for companies. So we've always done a lot on the identity identification of talent now we're doing a huge amount on the engagement as well so big big news from us on Wednesday that's exciting awesome congratulations yeah thanks very much so so I read I was of course looking at your bio before this <laughs> um, and I saw that you spent six years at an international staffing firm before you set up Sourcebreaker mm-hmm. in I think it said 2014 um, yep. what was the the problem or gap in the market that I assume you saw when you were a recruiter that drove you to create this search and match solution? Yeah, absolutely. So recruiters typically, in my experience, were always hired for their ability to um, engage with people and influence them. So their ability to engage candidates and um, present opportunities to them and convincing that um, that was the right opportunity for them. And then also to persuade hiring managers that the candidates they had were the perfect matches for the job. So mm-hmm. people were very much hired based on their ability to influence so their communication skills. Obviously, a key part of recruiting is your ability to find candidates and find decision makers and correctly match them. Uh, And what we found was through technology, we could add huge value to people's ability to identify candidates and match them accurately to vacancies. So our role, I suppose, in the whole process and the gap that we identified is there was yeah, huge room for a lot of efficiency to be driven on the, the process side of things, the identification bit, and freeing up recruiters to spend even more time doing what they do best, which is engaging and influencing candidates and, uh, and hiring managers. Got it. That's awesome. Can you give us an example of, of search and match in action for, for anyone who maybe doesn't quite know what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So if I do a fairly generic example, um, so let's say somebody's looking for a Java developer. So using our system, you just type in the word Java developer and we'll identify every conceivable way that the uh, experienced Java or uh, job title Java developer could actually ever be expressed. So huge numbers of different ways that that could be done. And then what we can also do is help people to identify people from specific sectors. So in many cases, when a recruiter is looking for somebody, say, from the 
the investment banking sector. What people will do is type into their search bank, banking or financial services. Um, but an interesting fact for you, I mean, I'm a search nerd, so I find this very interesting. Some people might not, but there's over 400,000 candidates on LinkedIn that work at any of Goldman Sachs, uh, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, HSBC, Citigroup. So all big top tier banks where nowhere on their profile at all does it mention the words bank, banking or financial services. Um, So with our platform, we understand what investment banking is and then we will find candidates at all of those companies where they would be missed if they were put, for example, on LinkedIn. If you were to use their um, industry filter, you'd miss all of these candidates. If you were to put bank, bank, or financial services into your search you'd miss those candidates so we identify four people normally anything from double to triple the volume of top quality candidates and then using our platform you literally click a button and it will match those candidates that you found to live vacancies from employers. So to use that Java developer and investment banking example, we'll find people twice as many candidates that are placeable. You click on the find vacancies um, or find leads button, and then we'll find jobs from all of the other top tier investment banks. Um, and then so every time you find a candidate, you have multiple opportunities to place every single one of them. And that's why we've had such growth um, because we do a lot of the heavy lifting for recruiters and get them straight on the phone by providing the candidates and the vacancies very quickly. Mm-hmm. And is that one click where the machine learning comes into play? So the machine learning comes into play in a couple of ways. So that's one of them. Probably the, the first part that, um, that comes into play is we'll look at millions and millions of jobs and millions of candidates as well. And so what we do is um, we have some quite smart machine learning technology that will analyze all of those CVs or resumes, I should probably say, uh, and all of those vacancies, and it will be able to extract all of the key skills from that text. So it will be able to identify, let's say, a Java developer job, and it will also be able to uh, identify a Java software engineer job. And based on the content of the two documents um, there, it will be able to understand that a Java developer is conceptually similar to a Java software engineer. Um, and that's done without getting too technical um, with using a, uh, I suppose, a knowledge graph. So what that does is that creates connections and it has an understanding that Java software engineer is related to um, Java developer. It understands that Morgan Stanley is related to banking, which is related to HSBC. Um, and so that is a continually evolving product working behind the scenes to improve the accuracy of um, the searches, to improve the volume of candidates and leads surfaced. Um, And then we use that to create the matches between the candidates and the vacancies. So we'll use all of that intelligence to see, right, this candidate is best matched to this job, for instance. Um, So yeah, a couple of different ways that we use it um, and yeah, use it to speed up the whole process for everyone. That's very cool. Yeah, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> it did not, sound, it did not can, sound easy to me. I can talk I mean, about the, it. I couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I know what knowledge yeah. graph looks like, but we've got some very smart people working in the background that do all of the clever stuff. I just yeah. talk as, about it. Um, as soon as I heard knowledge graph, I was like, oh, this is outside of my realm of expertise. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I get what you're saying about the machine learning in terms of it saying, okay, this is a job or JavaScript developer. Yeah. This is a, a related job. These skills relate to each other. So I know that someone who's suited for this job would be suited for this job. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I'm curious about, and I hope I'm not asking anything that's like in any way proprietary, but when you say there's like all these different 
um, candidates on LinkedIn who have who work for various banks or financial institutions, and nowhere on there does it say anything about finance or bank or any of those words that recruiters would be searching for. How on the back end are you programming your software to say all these companies mean this type of job? Is that like a, a manual database that's being updated with new like different institutions that you know about? Yeah, exactly right. So we use a combination of the machine learning, but what's critical for us, and one of the reasons why we've developed such a competitive advantage, is we use a lot of the human element still as well. So we have a firm belief that machines can get you so far, but the human element is um, is a key differentiator. So you can identify from documents, um, in a lot of cases, the, the industry that it comes from, but you do still need a human looking at that um, and making some of those connections as well. The machines mm. are very good, but they're not perfect. That's why right. we still have recruiters. That's why um, you know there's still people involved in the process. But for us, our search expertise within our people is as important as the machine learning elements that happen behind the scenes. So our domain expertise with right. our individuals um, plays a huge part in the accuracy of our search um, capability. And, and something else that I, I came across in my, my research before this is, um, you know, you're talking about recruiters being human, having that human element, but it seems like that's very, that's, that's consistent with you. That's something that you also kind of reflect in your own company. I saw that um, I was reading about, I think it was Entrepreneur of the Year, or oh, yeah. that was the award that you got. And so I was reading the description yeah. there. Very cool. Very exciting. Congratulations. Thanks very um, much. I'm very proud. Oh, I bet she is. Uh, and everyone at the office, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But I saw there that it says that you have a, a culture of promoting from within and then also having external mentors for all your managers. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So culture is something we obsess about at Sourcebreaker. We've been um, fortunate enough now as well to win another award, which we find out where we placed in February. But in the UK, there's a very prominent... Um, newspaper that runs an award which is a Sunday Times best companies to work for list and we've actually managed to get ourselves onto that list which we're really really pleased with um, and a key part of that thank you uh, a key part of that is um, <laughs> you know really focusing on building the culture so we tend to hire into our own company incredibly talented highly high performing individuals but they don't necessarily have years and years of experience and then what we'll do is we'll give them the support that they need to develop skills incredibly quickly because they're very very smart people and very ambitious their ability to learn and consume new information and react to changing environments is, is colossal so we then mm -hmm. pair them with highly experienced people um who've been there and done it and can guide and advise and mentor. So a couple of examples of that is within our, our finance function, we have a mentor for our, our finance function, who's one of our investors, who used to be the VP of finance for um, Salesforce in Europe. So, you know, experience with one of the biggest software companies in the world. And so we get the benefit of their experience, but without the bill of having to pay their salary. Um, so that really helps with the development of the guys. And then we have a similar thing within our sales function. So we've got um, former sales directors, VP of sales for some of the biggest companies in the world, people like Microsoft, SAP, will then be advising and guiding our salespeople um, and helping them to develop. So you have the, you know, the people who've got the 20 years ex industry experience passing on that expertise to some of the most ambitious and most intelligent people in those domains in the country. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, that's one of the reasons why we're one of the fastest growing companies in Europe, I think. 
That's yeah, awesome. That's huge. It's, is that and something that you're, you facilitate or is that something you kind of pair them up and then you leave them to their own devices? Um, so I try and get out of the way as much as possible. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm, I'm very aware of my faults. So hopefully I've got some, you know, some good stuff to bring, but if there's something <laughs> that I don't know a huge amount about, I try not to get in the way too much and let the experts get mm -hmm. on with it. So um, things like, you know, the VP of finance working with our financial controller, there's very little value I have to add to develop our finance function personally um, mm -hmm. so yeah we try and you know put the experts together and then my time is focused on product and you know the overall company strategy yeah that that seems to be a theme with you I read your bio I clearly did all of my research ahead of time <laughs> but your bio I said I'll, I'll read it it says that uh, Steve now spends most of his days coming up with new ways to develop the platform whilst at the same time trying not to get under everyone else's feet <laughs> seems like a theme yeah <laughs> You sound like a very self-aware founder. <laughs> Based on that, my, which is a good I'm, thing. I'm lucky to have a wife who's willing to point out my faults on a regular basis, so there's no <laughs> um, to forget where I fall down. <laughs> That's great. So, are those are those external or the the mentors? Are they a part of the hiring process too? Are they kind of taking their experience into the interview process and? and saying, I see this type of potential in this candidate, this type of potential in, in another candidate? Yeah, absolutely. So in many cases, we will do that. So in our, um, my background is very much a sales background. So is Adam, the commercial mm -hmm. director who runs a business alongside me, Adam Dale. Um, so when it comes to hiring people into our sales function, we know what to look for. We know what the red flags are. We know what the signs of high potential are. Um, so we'll manage that side of things, um, particularly with customer success as well. But then things like hiring our technical team before we had our own in-house head of engineering, we would rely on our technical advisors to do a lot of the technical screening as well. Um, I could ask people about buzzwords um, and then they could say, yes, I've done that. I could say that's great. And that would be about the extent of my um, technical grilling of them. So, <laughs> yeah, we definitely lean on, um, you know, some, some pretty high tech advisors who built and sold tech companies before and can do that technical grilling absolutely how many folks do you have working at sourcebreaker so there's 63 now i think as of today wow, um cool. which um as yeah still as of today <laughs> yeah still um thanks very much yeah it's still quite a lot to get your head around i think three and a half years ago there were two of us and there's now wow. 63 so it's um yeah it's been quite a ride so far but um mm -hmm. hopefully doing something right and how many how many customers do you have so it's pushing 500 now we might have tipped just over but yeah oh pushing my gosh 500. yeah wow that's huge we also saw that you as a part of your onboarding practices um in order to limit risk to some of your new customers mm -hmm. that you do a three-month break clause mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah, sure. So that's something we did, we did historically and we'll offer in, you know, in certain specialized cases now. But the way we try and do things is um, put ourselves in a position where we can offer the customer the best value possible. I mean, Sourcebreaker is mm -hmm. very much a premium product. And, um, you know, we're, we're quite proud of that position in the market. But we'll also do things as much as possible to ensure our customers are successful. So we do go on site and onboard every single customer. We don't do wow. remote onboarding. Um, even if they're international customers, we'll go on site. So we, you know, we're based in London. We've got customers in San Francisco, LA, um, all over the US. And we'll actually travel to the US, go on site and, and train those customers. So not just the on the, um, the break clause and things like that, but we try wherever possible to give our customers the best chance of succeeding and make sure that we're saying you know we're putting ourselves on the line and risking um you know we're risking our own success alongside them um yeah 
Yeah, and I, so I know this might be kind of hard to answer because you never know what could happen um, down the line, but are you are you planning so that you can scale that? Because I know that a lot of times when you're first starting out, it is easy to kind of have that like super high touch relationship with your clients, yeah. but you never know if, if you can scale it. Are, yeah. Is that something that you're planning for and hiring for and so the plan, for? My, the plan as much as possible is to do as much on-site training um, you know, as we can do. I think there's some certainly, like you say, certain commercial realities where if you've got a company with 10 offices with two people in them at all different corners of a company as a country as vast as the US, then getting on site to all of those can be difficult. But wherever possible, we will do. And I think as we scale, we'll probably have a differentiated offering where there will always be the opportunity to have people come on site and train because I think it makes a real difference to the traction and the uh, success you have with with you know with any technology. So we'll, that will always be a service offering but it may be there'll be a differentiated price point mm -hmm. for that because not everybody will want or need the on-site yep. training right. and if that is quite expensive they won't want that cost passed on to them so we'll give customers the mm -hmm. option of whether or not they want that on-site training or not and differentiate it with um with price cool. how many people do you have going on site for implementations and trainings so at any given time this team yeah, our customer success team is about 14 people i think at the moment so it's one of the largest teams in the company um mm -hmm. Cool. And for us, I think, you know, definitely in the UK, we're very well recognised as having best-in-class mm -hmm. support, and it's, you know, we've won various different awards for our support specifically. Not, you know, we've won product awards, which is great, but it's great to see that customers really love the actual hands-on support that we give. And I think, definitely in the UK, knowing that you're not just going to get sold a product and then never hear from the company again, as well as you know, us just wanting to do a good job, it is a competitive advantage to make sure that. You know, you're giving your customers as strong a service as possible. They're more likely to retain with you. They're more likely to expand usage. Um, and it's great for the brand that people know that we do, genuinely do care and we will come on site um, as and when needed to, um, yeah, to help make sure they're successful with our platform. Do you find that you go on site not just for the initial training, but if, if there are any changes to the platform or additional training is needed? Yeah, absolutely. So we're continually moving forward in terms of the platform. As I say, we've got the big launch coming out on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. But since we started a few years ago, we've always had a really, really strong ambition within the company. And that means that the product will always be moving forward. And so as a result, we are very regularly on site with our customers, probably once or, two, once or twice a month. And um, we'll have people going over to the US as well, because we've brought 50 customers over in the US now as well. Oh, um, cool. And so there's sufficient traction over there that it's worth having people on the ground going on site um, so when we bring out new products new new features wherever possible or wherever necessary we will go on site to um to train people yeah absolutely as i say some people don't want that level of interaction are quite happy with a webinar right, right. Happy yep. with a training ground a training manual um but if it's you know if, if a customer's keen then then we're keen to get on site as well so you're probably racking up those miles <laughs> unfortunately for me nowadays <laughs> i don't have to do so many when we first started, it was a case of demo a customer, then travel around and go on board the customer. Um, so yeah, the guys definitely get to see lots of different parts of um, lots of different countries. Um, yeah. That's fun. Hopefully they take some time on either side of those trips. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, we, I know. Yeah, the mistake I made was um, 
when first started, so I was doing all of the implementations as well, is I would go to the location, and particularly when flying over to the US as well, I would literally get to the airport, get a taxi, go to the uh, company that we're onboarding, onboard them, go back to the hotel, stay overnight, yeah. come back, do more training, and then go back and then fly home. Um, yeah. And that makes it really, really miserable, particularly if you're doing long-haul flights as well. So what we do now yeah. with guys if they're going a significant distance is make sure they have at least a day to actually go and enjoy the um, the location that they're in because particularly when uh -huh. we've got clients in some really cool places in the US as well, um, the guys want to experience the um, the locations, not just go from airport to office to hotel, which is mm -hmm. not much fun. Yeah, yeah, and I think that speaks very highly um, of your culture too. Yeah, and I think exactly fact, how you retain yeah, talent. That's awesome. And Hopefully. the fact that you had to do it yourself in probably not the best way to <laughs> yeah. realize. Like, I, I, I don't want other people doing this. That's yeah. like the most common misconception is that like, I mean, I say this like I'm so traveled Seasoned. for work, which is which is not true. But like <laughs> people are always like, oh, it's so, so glamorous, like work travel. And it's just, yeah. it's not. It's, it's exactly airport, right. I remember taxi, the first hotel. Time, <laughs> first time probably 15 years ago where I had to travel for work and I was just getting on a train for two hours to go to a very, very unglamorous location in the UK. And I just felt, I was like, wow, I'm traveling for work. This is pretty cool. And then I very soon realized it's not all it cracked up to be. Yeah. I yeah. will say, though, that as an American, anywhere in the UK sounds glamorous. So well, okay, yeah, <laughs> sounds great to us. Definitely not. The opposite is true um, for us. Everyone, every one of our customer success managers is always putting their hand up to, um, you know, to travel to San Francisco or L.A. or New York or of Boston. Course. Man, what a long flight, though. Yeah. yeah, I know. But for them, that's the thing for a lot of the guys. And don't, hopefully they won't watch this. Um, not, <laughs> hopefully they will. I don't think they've, they've realized how you know how much of a slog it can be it's still a bit of a novelty yeah. coming to the US to um to do a lot of the onboarding um mm -hmm. so yeah long may that last thanks yeah Carl. I'm sure if they have that day you know before yeah. or after it makes it a little bit easier yeah, yeah definitely a little bit so what are some of the things that you're doing once they're back um back in the office after an after an implementation yeah um to kind of like regroup and make sure that there is like that synergy between the product team and the support team and everyone's kind of on the same page yeah so every week we have or every two weeks it's every at least every week or two weeks and um, we have a, a product forum where all of our commercial guys the sales team the customer success team could go and interact and speak to the product guys um and give ideas give feedback tell oh, cool. you know customers have been saying and the product guys can then talk to the commercial guys about what we've got coming through in the pipeline so there is a continual communication between all of the different teams and then every week we have a company-wide meeting where the different departments will give updates on what's happening in their division and then the tech guys um, so product and engineering will also do demos of the new products that are coming through new features that kind of thing so we have a very very continual dialogue between each of the, de of the departments so everyone's aware of what's going on within that's the company. That's huge. Would yeah. you say that this new release that's coming out and this like next level of engagement um, was like a, a culmination of those types of communications or is that something that you had kind of been planning for for a while? Um, I'd like to say it was this grand plan that we've had for years, but it has been a um, it has been a combination of different people within the company. We, like I said, we're lucky with the uh, engagement side of things that people all want to contribute ideas. They're continually feeding back what we hear from clients, coming up with their own ideas, looking at um, you know best practice, that kind of thing. So it's a combination of different people having ideas and then us pulling that all together into one um yeah one core product um and which is that's really nice is that people within the company get to contribute ideas that they can see very quickly turned around into actual real products um 
And I think that's a key part of the culture is that everyone feels they can contribute awesome. and gets the rewards from it as well. Being able to see, oh, I was, you know, I was involved in that product or I was involved in um, the idea for this and that. And um, yeah, it goes yeah, down I well. I think that's one of the most impressive things when when companies can retain that as they grow. Because mm-hmm. I think it's, it sounds like all the different departments at SourceBreaker are very integrated, very in touch with each other, constantly talking, and there's a there's real dialogue there. I think as companies get larger, natural silos tend to appear. Yeah. And it can be really hard mm-hmm. once those appear to break them back down again. Um, I think that it's, mm. it's very easy for different departments to be like, this is the way we do it. This is how it's always been done. Why do we want to break down this wall mm. and start working with this other department when it's not necessary? So I think being, it, mm-hmm. it seems like you have retained that as you've grown. It'll be impressive to see it, uh, if that yeah. you know, continues. It sounds like it will. Maintain. Yeah, and that's a big focus for us. I think we're still small enough where everybody's sat in the same mm-hmm. office. Um, so, you know, the product guys are within eyesight of the sales guys. I think they wish they weren't a lot of the time, but they are. Um, but that is something that we, we continually have in mind is how do we maintain that culture as we grow? How do we maintain that openness? One of the things that we do, um, which the guys really enjoy, is we have um, we split the the whole company um, into groups of six and they change every, um, every few weeks. But what will happen is people will go for lunches from all different departments. So someone from sales, someone from customer success, someone from product, someone from engineering, and they'll all go and just not to talk about work but just to familiarize themselves with each other get to know mm-hmm. each other because as we've grown more and more you could have one person sitting at one end of the office and another at the other that never have any reason to interact with each other and i think to really you know build and maintain that culture and the innovation as well people are having different ideas and talking to each other it's really important that different departments mm-hmm. get that opportunity to speak to each other in, in, in an informal setting um, and the guys have said you know they particularly enjoy it because they get to talk to people they just never would do and understand roles that they just you know wouldn't have any, any insight into otherwise. yeah we actually have is it called breaking silos yeah that's exactly why i was thinking yeah silo. yeah <laughs> we have that here yeah and i think also oh, in cool. addition to like learning about how other teams operate and meeting new people i think it's a great way to find and meet potential mentors as well like oh, i think yeah. a lot of people have had that happen so it's cool but definitely we have enjoyed talking to you steve about search and match and Sourcebreaker's incredible culture. Thank you for sharing so much about your company and sort of how you've gotten to where you are today. Um, And we'd like to wrap up the episode with a little bit of recruitment trivia. Okay. Can I ask the first question? Yeah. Okay. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, what was the unemployment rate in the U.S. in October of 2019? Was it A, 3.6%, B, 4.3%, or C, 5.1%. And we recognize that you're in the UK. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I definitely know the answer to this. It's 3.6%. Well done. Nice. That was a complete really? guess. I just thought I'd try and pretend that I had any idea. Yeah, it was, was like convincing. Yeah. extremely convincing. I was worried that you go. cheated. Good. That was very, that was great. <laughs> Hannah, do you want to do the second one? And you thought, huh, you thought you weren't even going to do well. <laughs> just kidding. Um, um, yes, number two. In one of Bullhorn's 2019 Global Recruitment Insights and Data Reports, 55% of respondents called out which of the following as a top priority for the year. So in one of Bullhorn's 2019 Grid Reports, 55% of respondents called out which of the following as a top priority for the year. A, improving candidate experience, B, automation, or C, sourcing. (laughs) 
I mean, we cover all three of those, mm-hmm. so I'm glad that it's um, been answered by over, th- over half the <laughs> people. Um, I'm going to go for automation. Sourcing. Ah, well, sourcing's our number yeah. one thing, so I'm happy so, with that. There you go. Embarrassed, I got the answer wrong. <laughs> it would have been too, it's, it was too obvious. And automation is such yes. a hot topic right now. True. Everyone loves automation. Yeah. Everyone wants it. Yeah. You got number right. three. I'll ask the last one. <clears throat> okay. Haley Marketing, one of our marketplace partners, recently published a blog referencing AI, pressure to be proactive, and which of the following trends to watch in 2020? A, hiring for potential, B, increased transparency, or C, building brand culture? Hiring for potential. Well done. Yeah, that's go. exactly it. Two out of three. And you're already doing the third thing, sourcing, so... We'll give you, we'll give you yeah. a three. We'll give you a three. Yeah, it's a bit three. embarrassing that the thing that we are known for is the one that I'm I wouldn't have picked right. that, though. Okay, yeah, I would have been like, no, that's, yeah. that's not the answer. It's too on the nose. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, thank you again, Steve. Appreciate it. Thanks, thank you for your time. Yeah, it was great well, chatting thanks with you. Much. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you soon. Yeah, likewise. Right. Cheers, Take guys. Care. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify podcasts. And if you're looking for more info on Sourcebreaker, make sure to check them out on the Bullhorn Marketplace at www.bullhorn.com marketplace.